Welcome to episode 61 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Friday the 15th of May 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today we're going to be talking about optimising internal links and content structure. So earlier in the week, I did a session with Authoritas. I joined in on one of their Tea Time SEO sessions, which they're doing all throughout the week. They've got loads signed up and they're getting groups of people together to talk about uh, various SEO subjects, short, sharp tips and opening up Q&A. So I did a session earlier this week with Moret from Mob Digital and Mike from Blu-ray and we spoke about internal linking and content structure. It was a really great chat with those guys. Um, there's some brilliant questions at the end. So I just want to share this recording with you. You can also get the video of this if you want to see it because there's a few kind of diagrams that go along with the talk and you can see them at search.withcanda.co.uk and make sure you check out the other Authoritas Tea Time sessions. Hi, good afternoon everyone. Thank you very much for coming today to the Authoritas Tea Time SEO. I'm SEO Joe Bloggs and I'm joined here also by Carrie Shepard from Authoritas. I hope everyone's brought their tea and cake today. So as you may be aware, Tea Time SEO is a way, great, you have, perfect, uh, is uh, just an opportunity for everyone just to take that break, connect with others, and also learn something new. So we've been running for this for about um, seven weeks now, and we're really pleased to have uh, today with us um, three great speakers talking about um, something that we've had quite a lot of interest in, internal linking and content structure. Um, oh, hi, Kirsten and Antoine and Azim, Fateh, Authoritas, Anna, Lawrence. Thank you all for joining. We will have some questions at the end. Uh, Carol will take the Q&A from everyone. So please feel free to write any questions and chats in there. So thank you very much for our speakers for coming on today, Mark, Marat and Mike. And without further ado, I will pass over to them to introduce them and also share their tips. Thank you. So my name's uh, Mark and I've been doing SEO for about 16 years now and started with my own kind of affiliate ad sites and getting them to rank. Um, currently, I'm digital marketing director at an agency called Canda. And I've been agency side for 13 lovely, blissful, stress-free years now. Um, I also, apart from client work, uh, really like building SEO tools. So at the moment, hopefully you've seen uh, alsoask.com is ours and Aardvark SEO is a like SEO plugin for a content management system called Statamic. I also organize a local SEO meetup here and we have our own SEO podcast like so many people now as well called Search with Candor. And I was asked to add a fun fact to this slide. And uh, the only thing I really could think of, which is really different from SEO, is I'm a master scuba diver trainer. So I've got about a thousand hours now uh, underwater. Amazing. Um, that is a thousand hours underwater. That is fantastic. Um, <laughs> I also, I actually have a question. How many did you become in uh, World Cup SEO tools? Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think we're through to the final. Um, yeah. Only because I hate losing, and I put a link on the homepage of the tool for people to go and vote, <laughs> which I don't think Google have done in their search console. Last time I logged in, I didn't see a link for them to. Uh, no, I've not seen it. That's funny. Losing out, suckers. Uh, <laughs> cool. So, hi, my name is Marette. I am the founder of Mob Digital and inbound marketing and SEO consultancy. Um, my background in digital marketing is both as an in-house marketer and at digital agencies, which means that I can empathize with um, sort of all sides uh, of marketing. I love telling a brand story. And as a fun fact, which kind of it was a surprise addition, and um, this morning I've been for a run. So it seemed appropriate to add my fun fact as I run a lot, which I hate all the way through until I'm done and the endorphins kick in. And that's me. Cool. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Great to be involved in this. Um, uh, my name is Mike, and I guess similar to Mark, I've been uh, in the industry for longer than I want to admit, um, but also cut my, my teeth on a, on a network of uh, my own sites before that kind of grew into an agency. And I'm now uh, joined the the team at Blue Array, which is really exciting, uh, really great things going on um, at, at Blue Array. Um, uh, SEO director there, uh, have strategic oversight of a, of a bunch of the big brands within the agency. So, um, yeah, my fun fact I think when I started at Blue Array, I put on my profile that I was planning to climb Kilimanjaro. And yeah, with, with lockdown, I think I'm hankering for some open open spaces so that's definitely going to happen hopefully pretty soon cool so i'll kick off uh, i've just got two tips really i want to share uh, about internal linking content structure which is first is about distinguishing and separating your evergreen content from your news content so evergreen content being the kind of content that stays relevant for uh, hopefully forever, but at least kind of a, a long time, whereas your news content is obviously uh, more important when it is new because it's news. And secondly, about consistent and planned approaches when it comes to internal anchor text. So I'd like to just sum it up by saying the blog is normally where evergreen content goes to die. And by this, I mean, I've worked with a lot of clients over the years uh, where the approach just seems to be they have their, their kind of website and when they make quote unquote content, it goes on to the blog. So if we use an example, like we have an e-commerce site, say it's a like a car site, it's selling car parts, accessories, and we want to write an article which we would consider to be evergreen, something like how to de-ice your car. So it's evergreen because uh, fundamentally what you do to de-ice a car hopefully shouldn't change uh, over the years. And we put that on our blog and it, it ranks well maybe for a few weeks or months. And what you'll tend to see is over an amount of time, those rankings may drop. And this is uh, due normally to the content kind of falling down into this deep rabbit hole of the blog. So in a couple of years time, if you want to read that article, you have to sort of go to the blog, to the archives, to 2020, March, and then through the pagination to, to find it. And as you can imagine, even as a user, that experience sucks because you you know you're not going to find that content um, in any logical way going through it. And the same applies when you think about how search engines are working. Whether you're thinking about random surfer models or reasonable surfer models, 
search engines are going to think that that page itself is less important because it's buried down. It's got links from pages that aren't quite as important themselves. So that's that's one kind of reason why that happens. And it, I think it also leads into this um, fact where people update content. So it comes back onto their homepage and it starts ranking again. So maybe they think, oh, it's fresh content. It was ranking when actually it was more to do with where it was linked from on the site. So the point is that not all content is time sensitive. So I always like to make this split in types of content. So time sensitive content, stuff like, you know, if you had special deals for Black Friday, you've got new product released, you open a new premises, those things people care about when they're new. And after a year, they probably don't care about so much. Your evergreen is normally your other type of content. So like guides to de-icing car, what's the safe stopping distance, best car security systems, all those things are things we would hope to rank for in the long term. So another kind of structure we can use, which I think both Marit and Mike are going to talk about in a bit more detail, is this pillar or hub page approach, which is rather than kind of just chucking everything on the blog, you have a static section on your site that kind of curates where this content is linked to from. And the advantage here is a few fold. So firstly, from a kind of link point of view, you're never more than a couple of clicks away from the homepage. But secondly, for if we look at that kind of pillar page that I've suggested there, which would be something like a complete car maintenance guide, that in itself, in terms of search intent, is quite broad. So if someone's searching for a car maintenance guide, there's a whole bunch of things they could be searching for. So you wouldn't expect maybe one small article to have the answer. So building that kind of longer resource as well um, will attract more links, which again puts you a single kind of click away in terms of that content. So this, this structure really, really works. Um, there are ways around it without restructuring your whole site. A good time to think about this as well is when you're doing site migrations, really great time to fix this problem. And then site migrations can become more than just um, kind of a, a damage mitigation exercise and can become an, an opportunity to get better. Um, rankings. So steps to clean up um, this kind of content is categorize it into time sensitive or evergreen, group the evergreen stuff together in clusters, which Marit and Mike will talk a bit more about, move back up your search demand curve to intent that's broader for what you should be writing about for your pillar pages. Um, and if you don't have the time or resource to build pillar pages, you can kind of get away with a nicely organized category page, but it won't work as well because you'll probably get less links. So that's kind of tip one. Uh, tip two is about anchor text on internal links. So a whole bunch of points about this. Um, and hopefully they'll come up on the slide in a second. Thank you. Um, good anchor text is obviously helpful to your users. Um, so again, all of these tips are kind of thinking about your users as well. It's an accessibility thing, you know, uh, for when a user looks at a link, they don't have to read the context around it to know where they're going. Obviously, we had a Penguin update and uh, a long while ago, and that put a lot of fear into people about uh, external backlinks and anchor text. And Google have told us, you know, a lot of times now that we don't need to worry about over-optimizing our internal anchor text. You know, descriptive internal anchor text is good. It's helpful to users. It's helpful to search engines. It's really often missed in site briefs when we're building new sites and with content teams, like telling them, you know, giving them a best practice for what they should be using in terms of anchor text. Um, and the really cool thing about it is you can move the needle quickly on big sites. Great way to do that is Sitebulb release a newish feature called Link Explorer, uh, which you've gone to the next slide. It will show you kind of a demo of it working. And it will basically, once it's crawled your site, show you all of the different URLs and all of the anchor text that goes to them. 
So this is kind of what it looks like if you haven't used it before. And if we go on one more, we'll see there's two specific things I like to do with this. One is you can search by target URL. So it might be one of your kind of pillar pages or a bit of evergreen content that you want to rank. And you can see all of your internal links to that URL and really importantly, what anchor text you're using to make sure that you're using descriptive anchor text. The second check you can do is kind of the other way around, which is where you can search for uh, a specific anchor text and then see where they're linking. So you catch both ways. So there's a whole kind of list of checks that I like to go through with this anchor text. Uh, the first one being just making sure uh, I've got a list on the next slide if we move on. Thank you. Back forward. One more. Thank you. So have an immediate plan to tackle like the click here type of anchor text um, because that's something I see on basically all sites. Prioritizing kind of systematic or site-wide occurrences of bad anchor text. So normally stuff in like navigation menus. Reviewing anchor text to your key pages. Uh, spot checking anchor text like I just showed you in the second example with Sitebulb and making sure all of this kind of doesn't happen again after you fixed it, which is going back to the content team and actually briefing them about, okay, if we're talking about this, this is where we want to link to and kind of keeping a main uh, spreadsheet of all of that. So they're my two kind of flown through tips. And I think we're over to Marit now to talk a bit more about hub and pillar pages. Yeah, so I thought I'd uh, share some thoughts on internal linking. Um, I kind of want to take it a step back first to kind of talk through why it's a good idea. And then secondly, uh, why topic clusters or hub pages are great and you should definitely use them. Um, so if we go to the next page, um, there's, there's two main things to keep in mind with internal linking. So the first one is it shows the relationship between content, which is great for not just uh, you know the old Google, but also for users. So for example, if um, you're reading Mark's article about de-icing your car, then the reader might be interested in other forms of maintenance they can do on the car themselves. So rather than just linking to the main pillar page or the, the, the hub page, actually it's, it's a good idea to have a, an organic progression as to other types of maintenance someone might want to do on their car after they've read this article. And the second one is it helps to internally share the link equity of a website. So that kind of means that if a page does well in search results, that will also increase the search visibility for other pages that it's linking to as a result. Um, so like a great internal linking structure can help your website become like a force majeure and you won't be able to stop it in the search results as, um, as the pages help each other uh, for increased search visibility. And that's also why kind of uh, in line with what Mark just said, it is important to regularly audit the internal links on your website to ensure they are still pointing to um, you know, live and relevant URLs and articles. Like Mark said, Sidebulb makes, makes your life very easy in that way. So topic cluster, wait a minute, I got it wrong. Topic clusters are not, no, they're not shit, no. Topic clusters are the shit. Or maybe let's, topic clusters are the bomb. Maybe that's what we'll go for. 
A topic cluster is basically um, a group of interlinked pages on a website which talk about different areas within the same topic. So if I show you that visually, you'll see a pillar page at the center and then all these nice little cluster pages, cluster content around it. So this is what it looks like in a sort of perfect little pretty world, but in actual fact, it looks more like this. So cluster pages can also link between um, each other, essentially. Um, now, why are they why are they so great? Especially, they've become more important, especially since um, some of Google's updates, because um, those updates have seen significant changes uh, in search results as Google understands natural language better and really seeks out those websites with authority in that field or industry. So creating topic clusters helps search engines understand that your business or you are um, an authority in that field. So essentially what you want to do is write really great content for your users and fulfill the intent that they are seeking, which will help your website rank higher and also help users um, get everything they need from your website. And I think Mike will go into this even deeper. So over to him. Yeah, thanks guys. Um, yeah, really great points. Uh, completely agree with, with all of that. And yeah, I guess my first tip, I just wanted to uh, expand a little bit on those hub pages or pillar pages and how we can use uh, all, all of the content or certainly all of the relevant content on our site to support those pages. Uh, and then the last two tips I'll go through quickly are, are kind of finding untapped opportunities for the internal links on your site. And then the last one being the the mighty breadcrumb. Um, so I guess as an, as an overview, really to reiterate what we're trying to do here is obviously help uh, user navigate through the site uh, easily, but also importantly, we want to help the flow of PageRank through our site. Um, and obviously PageRank is still a really core metric for Google. And whilst it's calculated across the web, people become obsessed with external links and often forget the fact that, the, that they apply just as much to internal links. I think the one difference that's so important is that we are actually in complete control of our internal links. So it's, it's really important that we make sure we're, we're using them. Um, so yeah, just to expand a little bit on uh, Merit's point um, about the, these hub pages, um, I think you've seen a very similar diagram here. But uh, the, the bit I want to note is, is how uh, some of the even more uh, peripheral content can also help support this as long as it's relevant. So it's really looking into things like um, your, your blog articles, your news sections, uh, how-to guides, et cetera. Um, and what we're really doing is, is just trying to find that content uh, that, that remains relevant for the user to help support us up through that architecture. Now, we're, we're normally pretty good at the vertical linking, so uh, up top down. Um, but if you go onto the next slide, we'll see that these uh, horizontal links become super important as they can go back up to that hub page. Um, so as an agency, we've seen that this can bear some really pretty juicy fruit. Um, just one example of this is a client that was kind of languishing on page five for a, a really strong uh, search term, uh, life insurance. Um, so on the next slide, you can see that that's 100,000 uh, average search volume a month. 
Uh, so really important search term for them. Um, and, you know, if, if we could get them onto page one, that would be hugely valuable, uh, highly competitive, of course, as well. Um, so, you know, they, they were a household brand, so uh, it, it wasn't a, a case that we needed to look for too many external links. Uh, we already knew that the page rank existed. Um, it, it was the inter internal linking structures that were kind of hindering the site. So just as a broad overview, what we, uh, what we took, took on for those guys was um, we consolidated all of the appropriate content into that one really important hub page, making sure that we weren't competing um, within the architecture uh, between between uh, the, the strong top page and then adding really robust internal linking structures from those related pages as as Marit was pointing out um, but then also expanding on that and introducing new informational content um, so to plug some of the gaps um, and this becomes really important when you think about how Google uh, looks at your content and judges your content because we we really want to make sure that we're including uh, all the entities that that you'd expect to see within that particular uh, topic. So whether it's on page or or whether it's through relationships to to other pieces of content. So um, yeah, that that really produced some great results. We did move very quickly from page five to page one. So uh, yeah, needless to say, it was a, a success story. But um, amazing to see what these uh, linking strategies can do um, just with a little bit of improvement. Uh, of course, we need to remember that relevance is important here. Um, we can have different silos within within the site, um, but as long as we're applying the same uh, strategy within each one of those, um, it, it can some, bring some really great results. Uh, some quick ways of getting uh, some of that relevant content out of the site. Obviously, you, you can use your internal site search. Search Console is great. Uh, you can get really crafty with uh, Screaming Frog and, and other crawling softwares. But actually, the site command, um, good old site command, is is your friend, and uh, it's, it can be quite easy to just pick out uh, relevant, even even some of that buried content, as as Mark says, uh, you know, that can still be very valuable. Cool. Uh, so then, jumping ahead, where it moves quite nicely onto how how we identify the most uh, valuable pages within our site. So. Uh, of course, we're getting a bunch of external links pointing to various spaces on the site. Um, some of those uh, pages can be actually quite um, untapped. We, we don't really know that they're getting as many links as they are. So utilizing a tool like Majestic or other backlink analysis, uh, analysis tools can really help. So just putting uh, your, your domain into that and ordering you know, by, by the number of pa uh, by the pages to see you know, which ones are getting the highest links. And some of those hidden gems within within that space can be things like your branch finder or, or store pages. Of course, for, for lots of reasons, they get a lot of links, but we don't necessarily always do a very good job of linking back up through the hierarchy from those. And, and that can be really useful for a user. Uh, you know, if a user lands on that page to know that the, the product's available um, on, on the on the <clears throat> excuse me on the site. So uh, other pages that are great, like things like delivery info, help pages. Affiliate programs tend to get a lot of links, uh, and then you know forgotten resources, old PR pieces that have been done, uh, etc. So make sure you're utilizing every page of your site, basically. Um, cool. And then finally, a little word on the the good old breadcrumb. Uh, this is a bit of a bugbear for me. I think too often decisions are made to either limit the uh, functionality of a breadcrumb or to remove it completely. Uh, for me, it's a it's a really important SEO uh, linking element. Uh, we we 
really uh, it's really handy to link up and down through through our structures but also we've got full control over the anchor text or we should have if they are customizable as they should be um, and of course they're at the top of the page and we know Google likes to weight um, things higher up the page so very important from an SEO perspective and I and I do think that from a user perspective to to know um, you know where you sit within a site is is hugely valuable of course uh, the argument is made that it becomes intrusive on a mobile experience, but I think in a mobile first world, we really got to think about that decision. And as you can see in this example, um, they, they can look really good as long as we're keeping the anchor text concise and you know font sizes down to a minimum, etc. So, yeah, quick fire three tips. There you go. That was great. <laughs> so many. So many tips. We have so many questions, and we also have a huge amount of live views. We had over uh, 60, I think, at one point, wasn't it, Carrie? Um, but I'll pass it over to Carrie, and, and she can take through, answer some of these questions. We'll try and get as many in as possible. Over to you. Great. Thank you, Joe. Um, so the first question we have is from Simon, and he says, blog um, links to evergreen pages get buried in blog pages as they move slowly away from the homepage because of blog list pagination. Is it worth building out blog category and tag pages? I can have a stab at that if you want. Mark's <laughs> tips. Yeah, so, I mean, personally, I, I try and avoid tag pages myself um, just because I think, you know, when I've actually when we've actually conducted with other agencies user experience testing, they just don't seem to be sort of used that much, like whole pages of tags. And I mentioned when I was talking about uh, building kind of these hub or pillar pages that a kind of alter a cheaper, quicker, faster alternative is to build a type of category page. Um, I don't see many blog category pages ranking in search for many terms um, and that's generally again because they're pretty unsatisfying to land on so what i'm seeing now is and you i've seen quite a few of larger uh, especially kind of blogs do this which is um they're actually no indexing their their actual category pages and they've basically been replacing them with these hub pages which is uh, so say you know you've got your um blog about seo and you're writing about link building rather than um, have a category page that says link building that just lists all your posts about link building, you then make your kind of hub page that introduces link building as a concept, what's involved in it. And then as you're talking about that, you link off to all of those blog posts yourself. So I think personally, that's a better way to keep those uh, like links higher up in the structure. Um, I have seen some other sites, as I say, take this approach where it's a type of category page, but it's a little bit more helpful. Um, but that's that's the approach I'll take in terms of building up those category pages, which is if you've got the resource, start rolling out content that's more helpful to the user because, um, again, it'll attract links um, and try and steer away from, you know, again, things that you yourself don't see Google ranking that much in the wild. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think, I think if you can... Um... It depends on your platform, but if if your your platform's flexible enough and you can add value to your category pages, then we're doing a very similar thing there. You know, where where we're adding some content to that page and we're adding something of genuine value 
to the user and those pages become more useful. So uh, I think that's that's probably a good way to go. But lifting those pages up within the structure is 100% uh, necessary for sure. Thank you. That's really I Sorry, I think it's also good to uh, think about, you know, when you lift something up at uh, the site architecture, you're, you're also going to be dropping some other things down. So really be careful of, you know, what you're changing within the structure and make sure you're not uh, having any impact on, on existing uh, rankings. Great. Thank you. Um, the next question we have is from Azim from uh, Marat. Um, how would my keyword research fit in with those topic classes? Cool. Okay. So if you are doing keyword research, and I'm kind of presuming that the people that are watching this uh, will have keyword research as part of their uh, on-page uh, SEO strategy, um, what you will likely already be doing is categorizing your keyword research, whether that is in different tabs or in... Um, drop downs or however you categorize your keyword research um, if I think of uh, my own website for example uh, there will be keyword research in a tab in a tab which is inbound marketing there will be one about email marketing and one about SEO as an example and within each of those tabs I have actually already found um, a topic cluster because there will be uh, different questions about those areas that you want to talk about. So really, the categories of your keyword research are a usually a very strong foundation of your topic clusters. And then other than that, I would say keep answering questions. So um, use the keyword research uh, that, you, that you have done but also ask internal teams, like sales teams will know what's asked of them on the phone regularly. And then make use of, um, like Mike said, make use of things like Search Console. And I have to do a shout out to Also Asked, which is a great resource uh, to, <laughs> you know, to further expand uh, and be more useful to the people on your website, essentially. Great, thank you. Um, we have a question from Charlie, uh, from Mark. How would you, how do you approach choosing anchor text after you've ordered it through Sitebold? Sorry, could you say it again? How do you go about choosing anchor text? Um, after you've ordered it, audited it through Sitebold. Oh, okay. Um, so um, that would be based on the keyword research that we've done, and I personally normally go through kind of three stages of keyword research which is I will look at search volumes and competitions to plan out um, the broad intent high search volume pages which is kind of deciding what's going into our main menu for instance so that's one way we'll decide anchor text which is what makes sense for users and um, taking this approach of trying to um, target intent rather than keywords. So the part of the job of keyword research is to figure out what information people are trying to find, but figure out the most common ways in which they're asking that. So the most common ways which they're asking it will come through in search volume, which is, tends to give me the steer on the menu stuff. Um, when it comes to article topics categorization, I tend to use answer the public or Google suggest data, which gives you then um, again, a slightly broader range of kind of what topics people are interested in. Um, so that normally will help go into the um, kind of title. Um, and then 
actually inside the article. That's when I use like our people also ask kind of data. So to give you an example, if we uh, looked at, you know, car maintenance was our kind of navigational navigation term and then de-icing our car was the article. Also asked would chuck up things like, um, is it okay to tip boiling water on your windscreen, for instance? And to me, that's all within the same intent of how do I de-ice my car? That's not like its own separate page. So that still comes under that anchor text. So it's just a case of uh, basing it off your keyword research. And again, um, having that litmus test of does it make sense for the user, of course. Um, so you should be able to look at links and know roughly um, what you're getting. Uh, and the final thing is that the when you're auditing anchor text as well, it tends to surface any cannibalization issues you've got. So you maybe find that different people in the content team have been linking to different pages with the same anchor text. And at, at that point, you need to obviously review those pages and again, work out what intent they're answering, if they're the same, and if they're the same, should they be merged or how do you differentiate them? Great, thank you. Um, so we've got one question from Andy. Um, what tools do the speakers use to build a picture of their internal link building? He uses Sightbulb and Screaming Frog. Um, and what do they look like? Uh, or what do they look for if they use them? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, so I, I do the same. Uh, we typically use uh, Sightbulb and Screaming Frog as well. Um, I, you know they've they've got some pretty visualizations within that. I, I tend to find, depending on how the size of the site, these these things can become a, a little bit overwhelming. So uh, it, it's nice to t dig through um, the actual you know, you know data and pull pull that out into into sheets. Um, and then you know you're really looking for uh, the, the page depth and number of inlinks for for these things. So uh, that can be you know those tools are great. Uh, I don't think there's there's much else that's needed. Yeah, like like Mike, I enjoy looking at the uh, site bulb visualizations um, just because it gives you an instant snapshot if, if things are absolutely wild or if they're kind of roughly how they should be. Um, I used to use Screaming Frog pretty much all the time for this and export it into Sheets and build pivot tables. I am really a fan of that new tool that site bulb launched though because they're kind of modeling how the link equity flows around the site for you as well now. Um, and apart from that, you know, if it's a really big site, um, I don't use a tool. I just kind of start with looking what's linked in the main menu. <laughs> uh, it sounds really obvious, but that's a really quick way just to see what you're linking to and what you're not and what the opportunity is there. Yeah, I couldn't, I'm, uh, I couldn't agree more with the both of you. For me, it's, uh, it's the same sidebold and screaming frog. Um, as well as just my eyeballs. <laughs> Great. Um, and the last question we have is from Merit. Do you think there is a merit in creating a hub of these cluster pages, like a mother hub? Could you say it again? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think there is merit in creating a hub of other of these cluster pages, like a mother hub? Like a mother hub. Um, <laughs> It's almost like a category page of category pages, then, isn't it? It's like a, a, a. I don't think I've ever done that or used that myself. Also, thank you for using the word merit in your question to completely throw me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Uh, I think I would personally not go for that because it's something that you can either use in your navigation, so uh, whether it's areas that you service or services that you offer, um, I don't think it's something I have seen used. I don't know if Mike and Mark, you agree? Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not sure I fully understand the question. <laughs> So I'm tapping out. Motherhood, <laughs> though, I like the just the terms. That sounds great. Yeah, I like I like the term as well for sure. <laughs> I think I, I think the only time you know you might want to be doing this is is if all all of those hubs group into into something that's that's obvious, like an overarching insurance type or or whatever that is. You know, back back to that insurance example. So there might be um, a, a few examples where where that could be valuable. But I think effectively your homepage is your 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 the place where you're kind of linking to a lot of these important hubs, and then you're going from there. So uh, I I also tend to think we we probably don't need any more. Yeah. However, if you want to put like a Maret hub on your website, I am happy to lend my face for that and any quotes that you need. That's great. Thank you, guys. Um, I think that's everything we have time for. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Well, Thank you. Um, just we have um, a lot of tips and from yourselves, and we have a lot of questions, and that's great. Um, obviously, we weren't able to answer all of them in today's uh, session. So please connect with um, Mark, Marit, and Mike to continue the conversation. You have their Twitter details there. We will also be um, sharing this on. Twitter as well afterwards and LinkedIn. And also just a note from us, the Authoritas, we're also offering an, uh, a stimulus package um, for any sort of startup. If you're looking to take on an SEO platform, we offer um, some discount for the first three months. So this is us from Authoritas. Um, we have a platform here that can help you with uh, basically driving tra SEO traffic that converts. And for us, we will be continuing the Tea Time SEO tomorrow at 4 p.m. We have Charlotte Ross, Alice Farren, and Martina Wallace here to talk about how much content do you need to rank. So that's us for today. Thank you. Big round of applause to our speakers, Marit, Mike, and Mark, and to all our audience. So this is our biggest uh, turnout to date. Yeah. So please continue the conversation. Uh, on Twitter and on LinkedIn afterwards and ask those questions. Sorry we ran out of time. So thank you very much, everyone. We will uh, see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that session. If you do want to see the video, you can find it at search.withcanda.co.uk along with a transcript. And we will be back on Monday, the 25th of May, hopefully with some analysis finally of the May 2020 core update.